Hello and welcome to episode eight of Shoot the Shit, the podcast where I interview men because I want men to talk. Today I'm joined in person by Dominic Howe. Um, we did try and do this via the split screen, so it didn't work. The internet was being crap, so we're just going to do it in person. Hello, thank you for coming. Hi, Lewis, again. Thanks, thanks for doing this again. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, been it's. Uh, I'm excited. We were <laughs> we we're about ten minutes into it, but we're yeah. gonna we're gonna carry on. We're mm. gonna start again. So, Dom, in your own words, what makes you a man? I think for me, it would involve the capacity to be creative, to create things, um, to be of use to people or or, or something, to be of use. Um, and to have a, a meaningful, a meaningful impact. Great. I mean, yeah, very succinct. Nice. Yeah. Um, so, how have you, how have you sort of come to that decision? How have you sort of decided those are your sort of key key points in life? What What's got you there? Yeah, I've thought <clears throat> I've thought about that a lot. Um, coming from Stoke on Trent, where masculinity. I guess in the 80s and 90s might be different to what we might discuss now, right? Um, from a, a Midlands or North Midlands town. Um, I think just through my own journey through school, college, academia, realising that for me personally I was quite creative and that was something that I thought I might be, might be able to be good at at some point and, and find, find an avenue in. To, to be of, to be of use um, and to create some meaningful thing I struggle with the idea of of that quite a lot I think yeah it's a uh, it's a tough question and it's one that I want to ask everyone yeah. uh, because it's something that is very important I think a lot of people think about it a lot of people take their time over it and that again is also has its own issues I guess yeah um, but yeah I just want to sort of shape it and see what it is as yeah. what people are saying. Um, but yeah, it's for me, as I'm sort of going on this journey myself, I agree with you, this this purpose-driven side of things is, is what I'm mm. striving for and I think, think is important. So let's sort of, I always like to rewind because that's always fun. So let's start about Little Dom. Let's sort of talk Little about Dom? It. Little Dom. Um, Little Dom, little Dom, little Dom, and little Stoke. Um, yeah, so talk to me about what that was like. What was that was pretty cool actually. I had an amazing upbringing. I was very, I was very lucky. Only child, completely spoiled. Um, you can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Catholic upbringing. So I, I went to Catholic schools in Stoke. I went to St Teresa's at Trent Vale, which is not far from here. Um, and well, I really struggled. So my mum was called in when I was quite young and they wanted to send me to a special school for kids with learning difficulties because um, they thought I had special needs and they were actually making me write with my right hand and the teacher could only mark my homework in a mirror. <laughs> and she argued that they should maybe let me use my left hand and um, which I did. But by then, I was struggling. I was always struggling at school with re remembering the, you know, the times tables and 
<clears throat> learning by rote, so I was always just daydreaming. Um, and I wasn't, because of that, I wasn't allowed to do French, art or music. So probably the three subjects at school that I might have been good at yeah. were prohibited because they thought I was um, special needs. Um, so yeah, that was quite a slow start, but I managed to catch up. Um, and fortunately, this is quite a weird one, it would never happen in schools nowadays, but um, our primary school teacher in one particular year went to a conference for a week and asked her husband to stand in. So her husband came in and took the class and he was an architect. Right, okay. And, and he gave us homework for the week and that was the only time I ever got like a gold star. So from then, I kind of had an idea of what I might, what I might do. Unfortunately, that kind of, well, unfortunately at the moment, that panned out. Nice. Yeah, well, that's a nice little, yeah. nice little caveat. Um, my uh, my granddad was uh, he had his left hand tied behind his back as a kid. Really? Yeah. He was. Uh, yeah, he went to a pretty strict black Victorian school. Um, back end of the Victorian yeah. era. Yeah. So yeah, he uh, horrendous. So uh, not, <laughs> I think I was on the back end of that. Obviously, he changed quite he changed yeah. quite rapidly after. <clears throat> by the time I was at college, to the point now where, like, you know, there are architecture practices that predominantly employ left-handed people because they're more likely to probably be dyslexic as well, yeah, ADHD. <clears throat> but and then you're surrounded by a support team. You, you've got all these support staff in these large firms in London, and it kind of works. But, um, nice. Yeah. So, other than that school pretty good friends etc nothing to scream about yeah it was all right it was all right but um a lot of bullying i think because i was extremely tall nice. i was probably the tallest in my year by about a foot so so little dog was the wrong description yeah so um so that was di- that was difficult but i think it was character building yeah 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 and then straight to stoke-on-trent college to do um, construction, management and surveying, because that was supposed to be a surefire route into, into architecture. So how old were you when you decided, when that guy came in, the substitute teacher that wasn't a teacher? I think about seven. Wow, so it really yeah. sort of just stuck with you through? Yeah, yeah. The sort of whole school system. Yeah, it was really cool. That would never happen though. No, you might, get, you might get a guest speaker in, yeah. but yeah, yeah. nothing. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, was, it was wild. Nothing that extreme. Um, mm. So you you stuck to your guns all, all the way through that, and that was sort of well <coughs> the decision going into college. So I um, guess not really. I had no, that was <coughs> just very quick. There's been some really weird sort of synchronicities regarding architecture, and <coughs> so I, I knew I wanted to do it. My careers teacher said go to Stoke College, which was then Calden College, um, and do construction and surveying management. Um, which I did, and then when I went to fill out the UCAS form, there wasn't a single school of architecture that was taking BTEC students. They only wanted A-level students. Right, okay. So I was horrified, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to do architecture now. The only thing I could think of that was remotely interesting was hydrography, which is surveying the ocean, ocean and the ocean bed. Um, and I picked the furthest university away from Stoke, which was Plymouth. And I did about a week of it, and I thought I was just going to have to quit. I hated it. And I, I bumped into a girl who was our hall's warden, 
and she was she was a fourth year architecture student and we went for some beers and the next day she got me an interview with uh, at the school of architecture and I was in nice so I, it was so weird went, but, to, went to uni to do something else yeah, switched over. yeah and ended up getting into it I remember calling my mum and asking if it was alright to change from a three year to a seven year degree <laughs> but um but yeah, thanks, Mum. That was really cool. Nice. Well, I was I was just sort of going to touch on because, I mean, maybe more now, maybe more then. I think this it was very sort of maybe now is probably a little bit more uh, not no longer linear. But you were sort of were given sort of two options, I guess. Yeah. Uh, once you sort of reached um, sixteen, yeah. it was carry on or go and work. Was there? any sort of societal pressures at that stage that you were like maybe I'll go and work somewhere or was it just them? I I wanted to do carpentry at one point so my parents built an extension and they built it themselves and they had a couple of carpenters come in and build some bay windows and it was fascinating I mean and I do carpentry now right yeah. throughout my sort of career I've gone off and done timber framing and, and things as an enthusiast but um but that was kind of frowned upon. It was like, no, you should go to college. And I was the first person in my family, like like a lot of people around here, were the first people in their family to get the opportunity to, to go to university. Um, they very much wanted me to get a profession, if I could. Yeah. Uh, the irony being that once you have a, prof a profession, you fantasise about doing something with, you, with your hands, <laughs> which I've been thinking about a lot since watching one of your podcasts where you asked that question, I think it's to your, your mate who's in the Navy. Yeah. Um, what is a man? And it made me think about that a lot and some of the books that I've been reading, which are all about professionals struggling to come to terms with what they do and leaving and going into manual work. Yeah. Using their hands. It's, uh, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because that, that was the definition. Someone who... Yeah. had oil on their hands yeah. or some sort of splinter yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I've been ridiculed for having nice hands with my friends who are all yeah. like working the uh, automobile trade uh, calluses are good yeah well I took up rowing so I could get some calluses yeah. um, that'll work yeah so it's um, it sounds pretty plain sailing sort of like as a as a generic child in that sense there wasn't any crazy crazy struggles in that side of things it was just no just the standard bullying yeah just the standard bullying which was horrendous it was absolutely horrendous but the I think by the time I'd gone off to uni I'd kind of filled out a little bit and yeah become more comfortable being to, in, in myself and and, I, and when I came home it was completely different yeah and saw a few of them out <laughs> which I probably shouldn't have done <clears throat> but that's in the past yeah no it was fine it was a really good childhood I had my grandparents until I was you know quite old uh, late 30s early 40s so I was really lucky to have amazing grandparents and um, <clears throat> yeah considering some of my friends backgrounds I'm like home on the lottery really yeah no nice it's uh, uh, it's good to have those yeah those influences so Plymouth um, uni pressures um, any, any feeling anything there other than the switch of course was it just no I think away from home furthest away big decision yeah it was amazing it was absolutely amazing and I often wish I could 
be back in the sort of late 90s period, pre-email, um, <clears throat> pre-mobile phone, an amazing time. But um, I did struggle, I think I really struggled with the, the artistic side of university and the School of Architecture, the poetic side. We had this sort of scale, <clears throat> poetry and poetry and uh, poet and plumber they used to use yeah and they would sort of grade your presentations of your work on the scale of poetry and plumbing <clears throat> and uh, I always found it difficult with the poetic side I think coming probably coming from Stoke-on-Trent and my sort of background and my friends that I'd had at the time that it probably it felt feminine or yeah weak, or weak to go into uh, <clears throat> talking in a poetic way about stuff uh, that took quite a while, but other than that, it was amazing. Yeah, nice. That's that's interesting because I'm a personally I'm a very analytical guy. Like yeah. I'm very like this is this, this is that. So yeah, yeah I can. I, I think I would have struggled with that yeah. too. And yeah. Nothing with it being masculine or feminine, just purely that's how my brain works. <laughs> yeah. So get your degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got that. Happy with the result. Got uh, no. Well, yes and no. Yeah. I was I was happy because I felt sort of vindicated. You did it. Um, but it was, and I felt happy because it was a low score, which was kind of a, you know, an up yours to the. The very traditional and old-fashioned tutors there. So I came away with quite a low degree, about two two, um, which was kind of intentional or or, or a byproduct of, of how I was how I conducted myself there, which was very sort of rebellious, yeah. which came from reading some rebellious sort of architects and following some really rebellious <coughs> conceptual architects uh, or paper architects at the, at the time, and it didn't, didn't fit the programme of the school. Okay, so, they were behind the times. Yeah. I got a 2 2 yeah. as well, so don't worry. So, I think it's good, I think it's fine. All the best people do. Yeah, That's, for uh, sure. Um, so, yeah. What was next then? Was there any? Yeah, um, I think that's where the entrepreneurial sort of vibe comes in. Was um, I knew I wanted to go to London because I was obsessed with this school of architecture called the Bartlett, which was really hot at the time for like super conceptual work. Um, I think it was the Bartlett and uh, UCLA, California, that were the two sort of hottest schools of architecture. Never thought I would get in, so I didn't apply. Had to do a year out. Never occurred to me that I could, a lot of things never occurred to me. Right? So <laughs> never occurred to me that I could go to London and do a year out with a famous, you know, really cool practice. Um, so I just moved back to Stoke. Moved back in with my parents and started looking for year out positions. And I got a job in, with Horsley Huber and associates in, in, in Stafford, um, which was really old fashioned. Great guys, but he was like super old fashioned. And um, I did that for like six months and I was like, this is not for me. Yeah. And at the time, 3D graphics was just coming out and I got the first release, uh, hacked release of 3D Studio before it was 3D Studio Max. Um, and off the back of that, figured out that I could model buildings which wasn't really being done, yeah. in, in, particularly in the UK, anyway, outside of London. And I thought, I wonder if I could do this for money. Um, so I set up a, a visualisation company 
with a really shit name. It's called Digital Skin. Um, it's not shit, isn't it? And um, we were called Digital Skin Virtual Architects. And so I moved back to Plymouth. And, nice. um, and I was there for three years. And I ran that for, for that duration. And I actually did make money. I made a living. I, know. I had to ask my mum and dad a few times, like, I've screwed up with my cash flow, yeah. chasing invoices and stuff, so they, they kind of bailed me out, um, which was nice. Um, so the, the moving back to Stoke, that must have been, was that, you just, like you said, you just didn't have any it foresight, just, or was it... No, I just, I don't think it occurred to me. I didn't have a plan. <laughs> I never had a plan. Yeah. And I didn't have any smart goals. I didn't realise at the time that I could have got a hundred... Coming out of Plymouth, the, uh, the banks were giving 100% graduate mortgages. Right. So, you know, no deposit. Yeah. Um, it never, I didn't even know. It never occurred to me that I could move to London, get 100% graduate mortgage for a flat, go and work in some amazing practice like Richard Rogers. Yeah. I just fucking moved home. So, six months and then you hated it was yeah. that like a build up or was it like was it a combination of where you were working was it a combination I think, of being back at home like for me I've, I've come home maybe yeah. once or twice this is my third time back um, and you get itchy feet I guess is one one thing yeah. um, but then yeah. the other one for me is like we're obviously we'll probably talk about this a bit more but the other one is sort of a fear of stepping back and sort of reaching, uh, yeah. Uh, I like to say keeping up with the Joneses, but like you know what I mean. Just sort of slotting back into a small society. Coming back home, it kind of feel feels like failure as well. Yeah, because it is a massive world out there, and you know I'm sure we've both seen a lot of it, and um, and it is amazing. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's hard moving back, <clears throat> but at the time that never occurred to me that moving to London might be a thing yeah. and I'd moved I'd actually moved back during my degree it might be relevant to the to the podcast I had a, a mental breakdown in my third year so before I left Stoke I used to experiment with a lot of psychoactive drugs as a, a lot of people do so mushrooms LSD and um, so I thought I was quite uh, experienced <clears throat> with that sort of stuff and nobody in my university house had so so we, we, we organised this thing and I had my first really bad trip and it led to about three months of extreme psychosis to the point where um, I couldn't trust myself to be in the room on my own right okay yeah uh, so I moved home and I set my huge A0 drawing board next to the TV in my parents living room and did all of my drawings in their living room um, because I just I, I couldn't be on my own because I would have killed myself. And I did. It was so weird. So so I think it's probably a safe place to return to. And yeah. I think the idea of London it was it was related to rejection, the fear of rejection, uh, probably that I don't think I'd have been able to have handled getting a rejection from Richard Rogers. Yeah, they would have. Which was completely stupid because I. With hindsight, it would have been easy for me to go. Yeah. Um, so yeah, safe place to come back to. Yeah, there's, a, there's that safety net always. Well, especially when it's um, such a 
a well like for mm. yourself it's a, a welcome place to yeah. come back it's not a, yeah. it wouldn't be difficult for you to to come back mm. um so yeah um that obviously is extremely relevant to the yeah yeah <laughs> to the and it, it was a really weird thing like i didn't want to die i became obsessed with the yeah. idea of death and mortality i think it's the first time i'd ever considered being mortal um from this bad this bad trip and it's all I could think about and I just wanted to know when it was going to be yeah so I went to see my doctor in Plymouth and he's like oh you could be knocked over by a bus coming out of here and I'm like yeah that would be fine if I knew (laughs) (laughs) and the idea of not knowing when when it would happen was so like so difficult to deal with that I thought if I if I took control of that by, by killing myself then I would be in control of that. And I didn't want to do that. So I, I'm, I moved home. And you, I can imagine my parents thinking, what the did you tell is them? wrong with him? I think uh, maybe a little bit, because I think they sent me to talk to their, because yeah. the, I wasn't Catholic um, <clears throat> by then, that they sent me to talk to the priest and you know all that stuff. And the doctor tried to prescribe um, medication. And I was like, no, no, no thanks. I, and then, I dealt with it for a few more months and then I woke up one day and it had gone. Yeah, it's weird, and isn't it? it? And it's never returned. It's never returned. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. It's, I wouldn't uh, wish it on I wouldn't wish that on anybody. No, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. I've obviously wrote that um article on my sort of I, I suicidal thoughts, I guess, is probably the I didn't try and kill myself, but yeah. Mm. Living on the tenth floor of a flat. I remember you saying that. Yeah, part of the time left for the for the weekend and I had to go and lock the balcony door key in the post box because I was concerned that during the night in my slumbered sleep I was just gonna Yeah. It's a split second decision. Take, you you don't want to do it, but you don't trust yourself that you won't. So I thought the ping of the lift of me trying to go down there sleepwalking would have at least woken me up and taken it out of me. So right. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, that was wow. uh, tough, and it took me about probably about three, four months to get back on that balcony. Uh, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, well done. So yeah. that was uh, an interesting time. But yeah, um, do you think that makes you stronger having gone through that? I I don't. I think I think I wrote in the article that you whatever gets you there is irrelevant because everyone has their own sort of levels I guess of what can mm. sort of drive them to, mm. to those sort of thoughts like yeah, yeah it, it could be very easy to get you there or it could be very hard to get you there I think it's yeah. different for everyone but I think if I hadn't have done what I'm doing now probably not no I think it probably would have only got worse um, I think the mm. fact that I'm taking an active look at Not not being sad because that's not ever going to happen. We don't live in a perfect world. Yeah, for sure. But it's that, like you say, that strength or that bounce back uh, is really important. And yeah, I don't. Similar to you, touching mm. the wood. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't see me ever getting back there because, like, it wasn't it wasn't an attempt of suicide, and it it was just a thought, and it wasn't the thought of. I'm going to do this, it was a thought, and then I was like, I don't want to do that, which is obviously counter 
thoughts. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, for me, it was more a case of, I don't think I've ever had that devil on the shoulder, shall we say, it's probably mm. Uh, mm. the two voices. So, yeah, yes, but not just that experience alone, I don't think, is what's got me there. Okay. Would has made me stronger. I think it's more understanding, just going on a personal journey as well, um, and trying to better myself has mm. put me in a stronger position. So yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. And then, how about you then? So you you're back home. You move back to Plymouth. Business, straight out of uni. Yeah, I know, and that was weird. Um, Big moves. Weird. Especially, you know, with like a sort of ADHD vibe, it was really difficult for me to focus. Yeah. So I'd spend a lot of time pulling all lighters to meet deadlines and posting, you know, I had a massive printer and um, I would print these visualizations off and put them through the architect's letterbox at like five in the morning. You know, it was wild. But um, yeah, it was good. It was really good. But at the, at the back, in the background, it was always. You know, what am I doing? Did, I, I could build this into a, you know, I could do this. Just to explain to people, you've not, there's like, you're not a full architect at this point. No, so, so architecture takes seven years. You do an undergrad, three years, a year out in industry, two years back in, which is a diploma, it's called part, RIBA part two, another year out, and then RIBA part three, which is all the legal exams. Um, and so I'd got part one, which was just the degree. So I was on my year out, hadn't enjoyed it. I probably didn't, I probably didn't make the most of it as well. Looking back, you know, could have put a lot more effort in because they were good guys, um, but it just wasn't for me. <clears throat> so I ended up running this small visualization company. It grew to three people. Um, at the end, we just started doing some animations for our, um, offshore wind farms nice which was pretty cool but the background was like you know what are you doing you're supposed to be trying to become an architect and i knew i wanted to go to the bartlett that was my dream at the time <clears throat> i hadn't applied kept deferring it because i didn't think i'd be able to cope with it if i didn't get a place and then applied after my in the fourth year of my you know fourth year out from, from the degree i applied and got in Nice. Which was amazing. <laughs> so I didn't have to go through those suicidal thoughts again. But um, no, it was amazing that I got in. Yeah. And, and that was really good. So, shut up shop or just... Yeah, shut up shop. Um, <clears throat> I thought, stupidly, I probably could have, if I was more organised, I could have done it in London. Yeah. And paid, paid my way. Um... I think, you know, my parents kind of bailed me out and paid my rent on in, in London, and um, which I feel, you know, and that makes me feel like an asshole in a way because I've got friends who, and you know, previous girlfriends who didn't have that, and they worked several jobs to get through university, and I think they probably appreciated it a bit more. But um, I could have run that business at the same time and there were visualisation companies in London f that were formed round about that time like Cityscape they're huge you know multi multi yeah. million pound companies um, but I folded it I just folded it and my, you know my colleagues they're now working in film in London at a moving picture company 
Nice. So they did all right. They yeah, they did all right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm going to use the word privilege because it it is a, it is a privilege. Yeah. It's so hard to decide what to take and what not to take, and I think. I've got friends that are extremely privileged yeah. um, and aren't sorry for that fact. And I think if it's there as an opportunity, I think it should if it should yeah. be taken. I don't yeah. think there's there's no need to add extra pressures to yourself just mm. to no for sure to fit in. Sure. And, and it, it's okay to appreciate other people's positions. Yeah, um, yeah. Like uh, I think for my parents. They just thought it was amazing that I could go from, you know, we want to send him to a special school, <laughs> to, you know, oh wow, he can become an architect kind of thing. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so you, then you become an architect and you think, oh. <laughs> I'm now an architect. Yeah, I'm now an architect. And uh, this is what it's like. So, Well, this, this is really funny because architecture is seen as a high achieving great yeah. profession yeah. congratulations hi i'm so and so i'm an architect yeah. has a certain gravitas to yeah. it um yeah there's obviously a, a truth to every profession i guess <clears throat> indeed and, and you know in fact you know my partner today she um she asked me for a recommendation on schools because one of her friend's daughters is off to, off to school. And I was like, never mind what school, I think you should look at a different <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and in fact, with the AI and stuff, it, it won't exist anyway. By the time somebody starts now, seven years' time, yeah. the landscape would be so different. But that's a separate conversation. But, um, but yeah, mm. it's, a... It, it's, a, it's an interesting profession in that You've got seven years of fantasy of designing yeah. and it's very indulgent or it's very privileged um, and you you build this sort of vision or imagination of what it's going to be like when you go out into the, into the real world and then you get into the real world and you draw in toilets till two o'clock in the morning for years and doing door schedules or, you know, yeah, horrendous horrendously boring stuff and there's no design and I know people who are in their 50s and they've still not got to design anything there you get pigeonholed at certain things and I was always extremely lucky like in, in my time in London I got really lucky in the right teams in the right sort of areas so I, I worked in facades and structures so I got to do like the nice stuff and but some of my colleagues were doing like drawing corridors or drawing toilets or basements um, for six months at a time. Yeah, that's uh, that's literally the polar opposite of the degree. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess. And long, long hours. Yeah. yeah. Well, London is itself is just long. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, for sure. So, yeah. from a little Stokey to the big smoke, um, streets paved with gold, which they were when you went. Yeah, um, they were. They were. Yeah, they've changed them since. Yeah. Um, what was that like? What was the? What was your work-life balance like in that sense? How did you? How did you find that? My work-life balance was screwed. Um, 
I I think if you're in one of the top firms or one of you know a signature signature firm, um, the work ethos or culture is different. So outside the M25 or in, or in smaller firms, everyone leaves at five, maybe yeah. six o'clock, and in the in the big the big ones, it, it, it's nothing to go to midnight. Yeah. In fact, generally we'd go for dinner at a local Italian and then about nine and then go back in for two, two o'clock, get an Addison Lee home pre-Uber, yeah. before Uber. And um, I'd be back in at eight o'clock and do it for weeks and months on end and, you know, get help. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I imagine going for the uh, the jibbing for going for lunch early and stuff like that, or not even attempting to do it. The gym. I didn't go to the gym once. No, no, no. Oh, no sorry. The jib, sorry. The jib. Yeah. Going to, yeah. going to lunch a little bit early yeah. Uh, yeah. is always amusing in those situations. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it would, little things like it would be really weird leaving if you left on time yeah. on one particular day, like if it was six o'clock and you had something you had to do like a social engagement and you would get up and say oh I'm leaving now guys like see you tomorrow and everybody would be like you'd feel weird yeah. like shutting your computer down and leaving it's such a weird thing um, part timer I got better at that towards the end yeah the last few years it's uh, yeah uh, it's interesting to say the least yeah. the, the thing is, is that there's places still like that which is pretty insane Mm. Uh, and uh, I mean and everybody's like I think everybody's depressed in those situations and are doing weird things yeah like I started collecting stuff and there were a few architects in that I knew that would just collect stuff because it, it felt like we were a creative act <laughs> you know because we were starved creatively and we would collect stuff so I started collecting guitars and then when I ran out of room in the flat, I started collecting components of guitars like ultra rare pickups and um, you know pedals and things and, and uh, motorbikes. And then I had a friend that was collecting motorbikes. Uh, and it, it's just because you feel starved creatively, that feels like a, a you know yeah a nice outlet. Yeah, so weird. I mean, fair enough. So. You did that for how long? How long were you? Until um, <clears throat> 20. So I quit once. Yeah. I quit a few times and then went back. <clears throat> so when the Lehman Brothers crash happened, yeah. they offered voluntary redundancies. Yeah. I, I took it and, they, and um, they didn't want me to go, but I was like, well, shit, I've, I've asked now. That's, so <clears throat> yeah. that's a dangerous position. So I took um, a bit, you know. For me at the time, that was a big sum of money. Um, went to America, bought a Harley, rode across America, did some, went to a timber framing school to do traditional timber frame uh, barn building. Um, and then came back and went back to the same place. Nice. A bit like I've had... Drop, just drop back in. Yeah, a bit like I've had in my notice. It, yeah. And then they just go, yeah, all right, yeah. see you tomorrow. Yeah, and then... Uh, so I was away for about a year and then went, went back and then... Finally quit, yeah, I think 2017, set up on my own. They're still in London? Yeah, so um, there was an RIBA incubator, that's the Royal Institute of British Architects. Um, they had their own incubator in the back of the headquarters um, near the BBC. 
and it was 300 quid a month for a desk. Right. You yeah. could be in there for two years. So yeah. I moved straight in there and got a couple of small, small projects and um, kicked it off from there. What made you make that plunge? Sick of drawing? I think um, I'd been very lucky up to that point um, working in, with certain partners within the firm. And within the firm that I was working in, there were a couple of partners that I thought were really good designers and they did really good work. And there were ones that were, it was kind of questionable and I really wouldn't have enjoyed being in those. <laughs> and um, So I was quite lucky and I did some quite interesting projects with some great people and learned a tremendous amount. And then I was promoted to project architect, which is somebody who runs a team <laughs> and delivers the building all the way through to completion and handover to the client. And um, got to a point where I felt like I was drowning. Or every day I was just like, <gasps> it was like, you know, I would get in super early to try and get some emails done before the team got in. And then all the, everybody in the team wants to talk to you. And you've got to try and talk to everybody before the first meeting. And then before you know it, it's like nine o'clock and you, you do it again. And I think three months of that, I hadn't done a single drawing. And I was just like, I'm done with that. And they didn't, so I spoke to the partner and um, that I worked under and he didn't think it would be, uh, uh, it, would, it wouldn't be feasible for me to move back to being a facades architect yeah. because it would be a, a, a retrograde sort of move, career move. Um, they wanted me to stay and be groomed, I guess, into a management role or partner or something like that, which a couple of my friends, colleagues have done. Um, so I was like, fuck it, I'm, I'm setting up on my own <laughs> without any business knowledge. Um, left all of that lovely sort of support staff that was there. Uh, there were so many amazing different departments of support staff. Yeah. And there's none of that. I knew nothing about business. Other than your business that was quite successful at Plymouth. The visualisation <laughs> one, yeah. But um, I made all the classic mistakes, but uh, yeah, so that's what I did. Nice. Yeah. So, doing all that, setting up on your own, how did you feel, sort of, pressure-wise, anything extra, or was it a bit of a relief to leave? <clears throat> it was a massive relief. I think there's a bit of FOMO then, yeah. in that it would have been quite... Because I got on with everybody. It was, like, yeah, yeah. it was like a family, right? And I'd lost both of my parents a year apart whilst I worked at that office. <clears throat> they gave me loads of time off whilst they were sick and time after so to get my stuff together. So they were really cool. And it was like a close family. But um, so, so I could have probably made partner and then maybe bought equity and yeah, yeah, yeah. done that thing and quite easily sailed through to retirement. And that would have been really nice for in another life. Um, so I think you're always struggling with, oh man, what if? Um, and I've gone from doing these, like working on 50 million pound prestigious projects in the city to like small extensions, rear extensions on properties and stuff and thinking, oh God, and um, you know, I remember getting the tube. I went to see a potential client for a project that I didn't want to do. Uh, right out on the end of the Northern Line, at the end of the day, you know, like nine o'clock at night or something, to meet meet this person. 
They didn't have the budget to do it. I didn't want to do it. Turns out I was being interviewed. They were interviewing several architects for this little extension. <clears throat> and then walking back and thinking to myself, like, what am I doing? And getting the tube back into central London. And I thought, I'm going to Google what was Norman Foster doing when he was my age. And he was building, like, the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank. And thinking, oh, man, what, what have I done? Um, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, you've just got to keep going at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Now. Yeah, and I had a couple of little projects and um, I had a, a tremendous sort of relationship with some other guys that were doing the same thing in, in this incubator. It was like a, an open space. We all had a dedicated desk. Yeah. And um, within that group, there was uh, four or five of us that are still in touch together on WhatsApp. So that, that was amazing. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that you made, you tried to find that comparison. Um, something that I'm really trying to work on so I've got friends married kids dogs yeah. detached properties yeah. you know uh, all picket that, fence all that good stuff apparently good stuff yeah uh, I'm recently single uh, mm. well it's getting on a bit now actually getting closer to less okay uh, but yeah it's um not over the hump, I won't say that, that's wrong. In my 30s, um, yeah. change of career again. Um, it's, uh, it's very easy to make comparisons, right? And say, yeah. shit, if I'd have stayed in finance, <clears throat> I, I'd probably be re re retiring in the next couple of years, is the honest truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the trajectory I was going at. So, yeah, it's... I can relate to that. It's, it's a funny, it's a funny old world. But yeah, that's something that I'm really trying to work on, uh, and I want to encourage people to, yeah, not do comparisons. The thief of joy, as they say. So, very much so, <clears throat> and I'm extremely guilty of it. Yeah, it's it's not easy to uh, not do. No, it's, it, it's really difficult, and and my partner Claire, she's always pulling me up on that. So is it something that you still do now? That's always going to be yeah. my question. It's yeah. like yeah. still. What ifs and ifs, but <laughs> exactly. And I look back now because you know I feel like at my current age, forty-eight, it feels like last chance saloon in, in a way because I've yeah. I've had all these sort of they feel like full starts. Yeah. Visualization company or you know whatever I, uh, organic juice bar in North Wales, <clears throat> and then going back to London and so so all these different full starts and it's like oh man what was I doing if only I'd you know, if, if only there'd been Tom Billiou and all these different self-help podcasts when I was in my 20s. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> you are where you are, aren't you? And you are. I'm a, I'm, I've never been into, like, uh, I guess spirituality is, is one of the keyest words, but, like, I do believe what has been is what's meant to have been type thing you, yeah. you do you learn a lot of lessons as long as you're learning lessons it's all it. lessons right yeah. <clears throat> it's all lessons and, and wisdom and confidence and yeah I like I try not to look back at what what was and like live in that world I'd yeah. rather look back at that and say why was that good or how was that bad or what could I have done differently there and what did I learn from it rather than <clears throat> oh, I wish I was still 
I think that's key, is what could you have done yeah. differently so you can... And why didn't you do certain <coughs> things and, and yeah. those sort of things. So yeah, that's, that's my view on it anyway. Um, yeah. Are you... Uh, are you just constantly just getting pulled up from, from Claire or is it something that you're trying to work on as well? No, I'm, I am trying to work on it and um, she calls it the comparison game. In fact, I, like, I always do it. And it's, with my, it's sort of like with my closest friends. Yeah. So it's not a jealousy thing because I'm sort of elated that some friends are doing well at this or well at that or yeah. they're off in Australia and building skyscrapers and collections of motorbikes, whatever. And I think it's amazing and I'm super like happy but now I'm thinking what the fuck have I done wrong like <laughs> what, how you know yeah. what, th there's a reason why I haven't got it and that's what I'm working on now is what are, the, what are those decisions that led me to, to, to not be doing those things and and people you know I've got friends that talk to me about what I'm doing now which feels extremely difficult and they're like oh wow it's amazing I wish I could be <laughs> doing this masters in you know, entrepreneurship or whatever, and trying to build an environmental thing and start up. Or so, yeah. The, the grass is always greener, isn't it? Yeah, and that's but the irony. It's right? really hard because it would be so easy to go back and plug yourself in, you know, take the blue pill or whatever, and plug plug back in into that nice paycheck. Yeah. Um, it would be really easy, <laughs> but you just got to remember. You have to remember why. Yeah. And, you know, um, why you quit. Mm. Fair enough. So, let's so go back to the back yeah. to the story. I guess. Yeah. So, you were you were working for yourself, mm. and then so what brought you back to Stoke? Well, I guess, yeah. Okay. Years. So, I'd been. So. <clears throat> My mum, so my dad passed away in 2012 with cancer and then, then my nan went a few months after that and then a few months after that my mum got ill with cancer. So it was just this like, it was just like being waterboarded. Um, so when I, f so the house was left, I just locked their, their house in Stoke and I just left it. And I just got, I drank a bottle of red wine every night in the bath, binge watching Prison Break. I did that for like a year or something. And um, thanks to Claire, she let me go through that, right? And I think she was really understanding. But um, so it took me a while to like process everything and get on top of stuff. And then... Can I just, just on yeah. that, because grief, grief in men is something that I, uh, I've, I wit I can wit I've witnessed and I've had friends ask me about for yeah. sort of older people and, and, and that sort of thing. What what do you think happens to to a man when they lose those those upper generations? I guess. Like what? Yeah. What? That's the, <clears throat> I think that's a real sort of key one for me. Um, I think knowing because you you mentioned the privilege thing, right? I was, yeah. I was an only child, and anything that they could have done for me, they did. And when I when I messed up, they bailed me out. Yeah. Quite a few times. Um, and even though I was then in a position where I was fully qualified, chartered architect, nice, nice, fat salary, um, they were still there. 
So yeah. you kind of think, well, in the back of your mind, that safety net's still there, right? Yeah. Because they, you know, your best friends and, and they're there. And when they're not there, like when my dad died, I was like, well, there's my mum and I'm going to be taking care of my mum and, you know, whatever, maybe I'll move back or we'll all move to France or something at some point. Um, when she went, that was weird because it was the first time that I'd ever felt alone in the world without a safety net. Yeah. So it was the first, it was feeling completely alone, even though I'd got Claire, yeah. and we'd been together for a few years, and she, she's my life partner, but um, I felt completely alone, <clears throat> and, that, and also that safety net was there. Yeah. And that was really weird. Yeah, I think I think that that for me is, I've been look, I've been trying like you you look at it and I look at people that I know of so late forties early fifties maybe even late fifties as well sort of losing their parents and then either having children or not having children is like usually when you're at that age those said children will be at a certain age yeah. and they've probably got their own lives and you uh, I think it's what we sort of you alluded to right at the beginning which is that purpose mm. it's like it's sort of gone then yeah. like you said you, yeah. you actually said it like oh I can look after my mum yeah. like almost that was your yeah. your purpose and then <clears throat> yeah absolutely it, it had gone yeah. um, to an extent so yeah, I just wanted to touch on it because it's it's such an interesting topic, and I think it's probably one of the least looked at. Yeah, it's difficult. <clears throat> it's really difficult, especially like later when you evolve again. And because um, I would like call my mum as soon as I got out of the office and just talk to them. Right? Yeah. And um, and when now they're not there, and now I'm doing different things. And I said my mum was like an amazing gardener, and she had like an acre and a half in. France, she created this forest garden and and I never really paid attention <clears throat> to all that knowledge that she was passing on about how to do certain horticultural things and I'd be like, oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm really into horticulture and forest gardening and I can't, and she's gone. And yeah. she, <clears throat> she doesn't know that I'm doing this amazing thing. I think that's quite hard. Yeah. Uh, to not be able to, for them to see that. Yeah, I, yeah, you, uh... Well, you always want advice off your mum, right? That's oh, for sure. One of those things. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I can see. I can see. Uh, but I think for me, it's. I think that's probably one of the most. In this whole spectrum of everything, I think that's probably one of the most misunderstood and miss. Missed. Um, opportunities or missed sections of. Of, of men's mental health is this pure mm. <clears throat> this grief stage which every most men will go through yeah uh, yeah at some point Claire wanted me to go <clears throat> for um, grief counselling and cognitive behavioural therapy and yeah. I refused I just <laughs> I was like no I'm not doing that no way am I doing that yeah so um, so I ended up I just ended up boozing and just boozing and working yeah and, uh, and that, that was how I got through it I think it might have worked <laughs> well very weirdly right because <clears throat> here I am in Stoke I so, wouldn't call it textbook but yeah yeah whatever so, works um, 
so yeah, it was like 20, so I was in the incubator for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, 2019, I was finally ready to come up here and <clears throat> start working on the house. Right, okay. And emptying all of their stuff. And um, well, of which there was a lot. Uh, so I was gonna empty the, empty the house get rid of the house and move back, move back south and, and to Portugal. We had plans of moving to Portugal, Claire and, Claire and myself. Um, and then the pandemic hit. Um, and I'd, I'd also just taken a studio at the Spode Works, which is just over the road from here, um, <clears throat> which is a, an abandoned ceramics factory in Stoke. And I took a studio there thinking that I might be able to split my time yeah. between London and Stoke and jump on the train, hour and a half, um, and do some regeneration sort of stuff up here. And then the pandemic hit. And so I was really lucky that I'd still kept the bungalow because it was close to the woods and that was an amazing thing. We just rode out of the pandemic from there, going into the woods every day. And then there was no drawback to London after that? <clears throat> no. Um, no, Claire tried to work here and she found it difficult because of what she does yeah. like her career um, there isn't that there isn't that much fashion work in in Stoke so it's either commuting to like Manchester or whatever so she so she moved back to London and um, and I'm I'm trying to make a go of it here but my projects are in London so I've, I haven't done any projects in Stoke on Trent all of my work's been in London yeah. since, <clears throat> since, since setting up on my own. So I do get to go back. And whenever I get off the train in Houston, it's like I've, I feel like I've come home. Yeah. But then I get the same thing when I yeah, get off the train right. in Stoke. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh God, thank God I'm back from London. Yeah. So it's weird. It is weird. But it feels okay at the moment. Yeah. I, uh, we, so were you just first locked down straight out? of London or was it? I was already here oh, right, <laughs> and, and yeah. so, so I'd been back in Stoke for a few months, Claire was working in London and the pandemic, first lockdown happened, she was down there, um, so I, I just drove down empty motorway, yeah. empty streets, very weird, and brought her back and we rode those couple of lockdowns um, in Stoke, nice. which was amazing. Yeah. Like, it's, it's fucked up, isn't it, in a way, <clears throat> that for some people it was an amazing experience, yeah. and for some people it was horrendous. And for me, I was extremely lucky that, that I had that house, yeah. and it was on the edge of Trenton Woods, um, and I had work to do. Um, yeah, weird, yeah, weird time. Weird time. Very weird. We um, we were lucky. We had a strip of Astro in oh. uh, in London. Uh, I've told this story. So you were in London for yours. Yeah. Okay. I've told this story countless times. My partner at the time. This is probably one of the potential reasons that we're not together anymore. Um, I was like, this will last two weeks, Max. I really this. So I, uh, <laughs> yeah. And this is when everyone was panic buying, so I was like, oh, I know where there'll be food. 
obviously had the office in Mayfair. So I was like, I'll go to Fortnum and Masons. Empty. No one was raiding Fortnum and Masons. So everyone who was looting, or not looting, but stocking up, missed that. So yeah, I bought smoked salmon and some like really expensive cured bacon um, and some really nice eggs. And and then took them to her for (laughs) that, which didn't have a garden. And she was like, what? is this like she'd been to like every supermarket and the freezer was full yeah. uh, of stuff and I was like it'll be over in two weeks and we're gonna have a nice breakfast tomorrow so, <laughs> <laughs> which you did which we did um, it was gorgeous food but yeah so we were there for quite a while and then when they fir- I think it was like six weeks and that was hell because there was like six of us living in a three bed apartment that was literally <clears throat> just the top of a house yeah um and then as soon as they let us move around a bit, we went back to my flat with my one other housemate. So there okay. was me and his partner and me and my partner at the time living in the flat. So that was a lot better, but that was just bigger. It was just a bigger, yeah. bigger flat. Um, so yeah, that was that. So I didn't come till after pandemic. Like we were sort of the back end of it. And then I came back to Stoke um, I actually came for other reasons. It wasn't really a pandemic thing. Mm. It was more of a, a business mm. dismantlement than a, okay. uh, than a pandemic thing. But yeah, I'm now back in sunny Stoke yeah. as well. Very. <laughs> very sunny Stoke, yeah. Um, which, coming home, has its niceties, but also its failures, as you've said. Yeah. All that, that sort of touch of failure. Um, so yeah. But for you, it sounds like it was more of a a conscious decision to move here rather yeah. than a, yeah it was just it was literally come back empty the house yeah get the house because I'd left it for quite a few years so it needed you know renovating and uh, put it on the market <clears throat> moved to Portugal that was the plan that, that was the plan it kind of still is the plan ish yeah but um, <clears throat> you know with some twists um, yeah and then after <clears throat> stuck around I was quite shocked by like the degradation I'd probably call it yeah uh, of of Stoke decay <laughs> yeah because I remember Stoke town as was quite a nice place right I used to, I used to meet my nan there there was the Woolworths and it was all right yeah. <clears throat> and and now it's just horrendous um so it's absolutely horrendous and to see all of those like heritage buildings and public assets just crumbling away yeah. being demolished and, it's kind of it's as an architect it must hurt the soul a little bit. yeah when you think that from where we are because you know being from the potteries we had the capacity to produce some beautiful ceramic buildings up here so it's tremendously rich like if you walk through Burslem it's mind blowing the quality of the yeah the buildings there you know and um, crumbling away yeah real shame real sold, off, sold off for a pound or 20 grand Mm. Nice. Yeah, it's hard it's hard so somewhere I thought oh is there an opportunity to get involved in some sort of regeneration yeah. thing so I went off and did um, <clears throat> conservation architect qualification so I thought at least with that I would be able to converse with the council and f- from an idea of conservation understanding yeah, uh, and th- 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 there would be some possibility of regeneration there, but 
this just failed that's failed to materialize yet yet yeah yeah say yet. yeah but there's a lot of stuff bubbling on the surface right and as we found out on tuesday there's a lot of people with similar ideas they're looking at different buildings across the six towns so the, the yeah. ideas are bubbling that's, they always have been though yeah I think so I think it's an execution phase is needed yeah. now but yeah. again that's a story for another yeah, day it is um, so just to just to touch on um, a little bit of a topic that is uh, I guess interesting to, to some people in this in this sort of space you and your you and your partner mm. uh, you spend long periods of time apart from each other we do at the moment yeah, yeah. Um, so how are you getting what, what does that look like and what are your sort of things that you put in place and, and <coughs> some of the other pressures as well yeah <coughs> it's really difficult um, she she works around the clock she's like me she's obsessed she works in fashion and in design so yeah. she works weekends late evenings <coughs> so it's not as if she's finished at five and waiting you know, for you waiting or whatever <coughs> and uh, she's got loads of interests as well and activities so we at the moment we speak every morning we speak at the end of the day yeah and we see each other we're supposed to see each other sort of every other weekend uh, doesn't really pan out that way for whatever reasons but um <clears throat> yeah and, and as long as we, there's an idea of we're doing this for a reason and there's a plan and yeah and that plan is that you know relatively soon we can um create a new base so you've got goals together right? yes yeah even though you're sort of yeah we've, yeah we've got the goals and <clears throat> you know i've signed up to a master's at the moment and um that finishes in december and so we're looking at like you know spring next year uh establishing a base together nice cool so it's just just constant communication and yeah. you still have a shared goal and vision together that's sort of <coughs> yeah. keeping that yeah. tight. And, and also a trust, right? We've been yeah. together for like, we've been together for just over ten years and I think there's there's a trust. Yeah. I think that's important. That's really important as well. I think that I think the thing with trust is it's that's just you two as people. I think everything else is yeah. is work, right? Like you, yeah. you're gonna have to even if you even if you didn't trust the person, the work could potentially get you to trust the person, so to speak, as well. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sometimes talk, call her a telephone concept lady <laughs> because if we go through periods of time where I haven't seen her for so long, yeah. it becomes this like imagined concept. It's just a voice on the phone um, after okay. a month, or you know, yeah. sometimes it's been a month or six weeks and we haven't seen each other and both working round the clock and it's just this abstract concept <laughs> okay i can see why you're laughing yeah it's, it's all good yeah nice so let's talk about what sort of the next big vision i guess for you and, mm. and yeah what's what's happening in your world right now work in work life relationship work, <clears throat> goals Visions. Yeah, I moving away from architectural practice. Yeah, so winding that down. <clears throat> it will come back later in a in a different. If everything goes according to plan, it will come back. Yeah, but <clears throat> into my own terms. Um, moving more into environmental 
work, yeah. which I think stems from a need to have an impact or find a way to have a meaningful impact yeah. and, and a fascination, a newfound fascination with, with nature and the environment um, uh, and to move into a space there of uh, an environmental startup, which comes from a few different things. Um, I've been studying for a permaculture design certificate and also I've been studying uh, agroforestry and agroecology and I'm looking at ways in which I combine all of those things into a profitable business yeah. that has a benefit to the environment. Very nice. And in a, you know, i.e. an impact. Yeah. Um, and that's what I'm exploring at the moment. So you um it's quite apparent from everything that you've said that you're you're always trying to further your career or your education or development your personal mm. development is that something you're aware of or is it just what is happening i think <clears throat> no it's a good one because i don't i wouldn't consider I wouldn't consider that as a personal development because I don't work out or go to the gym or do yoga or anything physical. I'll kind of ignore that, yeah. which I obviously shouldn't do, uh, and nutrition and but anything to do with learning or what I feel passionate about yeah. gets 100% attention. Yeah. And um, I'd call that personal development. Yeah. I'd call the other stuff health. Yeah, definitely. Is that definitely. if you have you always is that just something you've always done? Is just always looked at something and always been intrigued? I think my mind um, is a bit like a butterfly. It'll just it flutters around yeah. for, for the latest thing that I might be interested in, and then I'll do that for a bit, and then I'll drop it. Yeah, like oh, I'm going to be a timber framer. I'm going to get into carpentry. I'm going to I'm going to design motorcycles and I, I go into these like wormholes for months till three o'clock in the morning researching and learning and then and then I dump it and go off to nice. something else <clears throat> and I think this is and that's an ADHD thing um, and I think it's only in recent the last couple of years that I've <clears throat> started joining the dots between some of those yeah. ob obsessions and passions to pull them together into one vehicle that could actually become a business yeah. and and have impact. So satisfy my need for all those passions or muses and then to create wealth from that and to have a positive impact. And it, and it finally started falling into place in the last sort of year or two. Yeah, nice. So, thank God. Yeah, lessons learned, right? Yeah. Um, so I think like, it's very clear that you've got a goal, right? So, mm. like, you know what you want to do, and that's mm. obviously including with your partner. Mm. But you're also, you also have sort of, I guess, you call it the muses. Mm. Nice words. Um, so, outside interests, and now you're trying to form that into a career. Yeah. And then you talk about wealth, but wealth to you isn't going to be making loads of money it's more about just funding that no, it, and it, funding that next yeah it's to it's to have enough money in the bank 
to go shopping and not check your bank balance before you go into the supermarket. Yeah. Or only putting 20 quid at a time yeah. <laughs> into the vehicle. Or having a vehicle that you feel, that you don't feel ashamed of driving. Yeah. And that feels like difficult to say because you know, we're in the 1%, even driving an old banger around, we're yeah, in the yeah. 1% of wealth in the, on the planet. But um, if I go to a client meeting, I'll park two streets away. Um, so they don't see what I'm driving because it kind of it, for me in my mind that, that doesn't fit what an architect drives yeah and so, so it's just to have it's just to feel comfortable enough but it, but extreme wealth isn't something I think extreme wealth is freedom right to just yeah, yeah. if you have your I guess you call it ikigai if you're if you're doing something that you love yeah then everything feels like play yeah, no, nice. and that's freedom. That's wealth. True freedom. Yeah, yeah, not necessarily money for sure. Um, it's it, uh, yeah, that's the uh, the Japanese word, right, mm. for this uh, great balance, which is something that I'm exploring right now, and I'm yeah. I'm quite interested in. But it's it's just listening to what you're saying. It sounds like over years of working and and playing and working and yeah. playing, you've started to develop and create healthy relationships outside of those things because they all work together to be one goal rather than just being I'm going to be an architect I'm going to earn hundreds of thousands of pounds yeah. a year and then I'll retire and then I'll do what I love yeah. it's like I'm going to build my life around these pillars and that might yeah. mean that I end up earning 40 grand a year yeah. but like at least then I know I can do what I want to do yeah. and I'm happy about yeah. it 40 grand a year doing what you love and having the freedom within that yeah. to follow new passions and stuff is incredible. That's doable. Right? Yeah. yeah. Those are just random numbers picked out of there. Yeah. They're not. But, it, but it's, a, you know, that's a number, right? And I think that, you know, if that's what it was, I could make that work. Yeah. Even though I could probably triple that. Yeah. In London. But then that's capped. Yeah as well obviously but um, and it comes with the expense of mental health and physical health and living in the city right but that's the payoff yeah I don't miss black bogeys black. oh from the northern line <laughs> from any line from any line yeah, yeah. It's around, it's, you wonder how much crap you breathe in don't you on there I remember talking to an environmental engineer we were designing an office building and what one of the most important things was the level of heavy metal and particulates and pollutants that sit at a certain level in London and it's a couple of meters so you as quickly as you can you need to get up onto a, a, a raised floor so you never really want to be on the ground floor right okay and, and it, it makes you wonder Good to know. How bad that is. It's not great, no. No, it's, it's bad. I mean, it, when I lived in Jakarta, it was smoggy, and then they would have like a bank holiday on a Wednesday, which is when they had their bank holidays for whatever reason, yeah. and it would be blue sky. It would all dissipate yeah, within a day. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, but yeah. I mean, they would set fire to anything and everything. Yeah. The, uh, the office guy would give him something to dispose of and he'd be on the street burning. burning. 
horrendous. Whether it was plastic or not. Um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just a yeah. little anecdote. But yeah, in regards to where you're at and sort of, I guess the life that you've you've lived because you're in a nicer position I guess you've got a nice reflective time to look back on as well um, mm. where where do you sort of see yourself now do you see yourself more contented or like what I think <clears throat> I think I'm content because I finally have a clear vision yeah of, of what I see myself doing for the next you know if I'm lucky 10 20 years whatever um, before maybe retiring um, so there's contentment from that I think I think once you have a clear vision of what it is that you want to do there's an amazing equanimity that comes with that of being able to relax there are other issues like finance but yeah. that's stuff you have to work on right and it comes part that's all part of the sacrifice of the journey isn't it yeah I think well that's finance is probably a unique one to yeah. to entrepreneurship, I guess, yeah. rather than well, no, saying that leaving a job, yeah. saying to do to pursue something you want to do, yeah. usually is starting on that career ladder again, I guess, which yeah. is a big jump for a lot of people. So yeah, yeah. it's the hard, that, that out of everything, <clears throat> that's the hardest thing. I don't think the late you know the late nights or seven days a week for twelve months or whatever is, is that. That's doable. Yeah. And burnout, you can you can regroup, but it's the financial thing. Yeah. And I think going back to being a man, what is it to be a man? I think it's to be able to like make make ends meet. Yeah. And um, you know, I I've gone through this situation, and my friend, one of my friends is as well, who's also an, an entrepreneur, and um, it's when your partner bails you out. Yeah. And that's really difficult to yeah. deal with. Like I've been in positions when I was working in London and I was able to bail my partner out or help help her do something or take time out to do a course or whatever. <laughs> but when the shoe's on the other foot, that really, really stinks. Yeah. And it's difficult to cope with mentally. Um, it would be easier to I think to commit suicide than ask your partner for you know can I borrow some money? I can't pay the bills. Um, yeah. It's kind of, um, it feels emasculating. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a tricky one, to mm. say the least. Yeah. Um, that spurs you on anyway, too. Yeah, I think. As quickly as you can. Well, get yeah. to the other side of that. I guess there's two types of men, shall we say. Yeah. One that are spurred on by it, and then the ones that sit there yeah I'm waiting for it to happen again but that goes to what I'm saying which is you've got a purpose you've Mm. driven to something it's not like you're just fancy being an architect anymore just gonna sit in stoke for a bit see what's happening no yeah the architecture will come back for sure and that's part of the plan like later on it will come back in a more meaningful meaningful way because I've been trying to push environmental architecture and yeah. Net, net zero bio-based construction and <clears throat> I think people want that but yeah. people can't finance that no not yet under under current mortgage structures they want bricks and mortar and Passive House is lobbied by the construction industry and government 
to be able to sell mechanical equipment and petroleum-based materials. So I think for me, that'll come back later as a second phase of what I'm currently doing. Nice. So I guess, thank you very much for your time today. Great, greatly appreciated. Cool. I know you're a busy man. Yeah. Um, but I guess let's end again on what makes, what makes Dom a man. What makes Dom a man? Um, having a quest, I guess, looking yeah. back on that. And, um, and the confidence from, from my experience that um, I'll be able to complete that and get back to uh, having a meaningful impact and being able to provide. Nice. Yeah. And, on a, and on that note, yeah. thank you very much and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you very much, Lewis. <laughs>